Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to I Want You to Watch This. I am your host, Dennis, and as always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Colin and Craig. How are you, Colin? I'm excellent, Dennis. Excellent. And Craig, how are you? I'm doing very well. Fantastico! All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you Luigi? I guess I am. <laughs> I was really tempted to do this intro in like a really annoying like the Delta Boy said, "Hey," but uh, I'll hold that up for another episode. Um, uh, this week is part two of our nostalgia block, "Death Becomes Her." This is Craig's childhood movie, which is a little disturbing. Um, Honestly, <laughs> I have some questions for you later, <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll pass it off to him to introduce the movie. Uh, well, you know, this movie made me the bad bitch that I am today. Oh, that makes say, sense. You know? I totally get it. I mean, anyone watching this movie can see that uh, it is just a fall to the walls, like, madness fest, but it is also amazing. And so I will start by, uh, let's just go through the cast here. We've got Meryl Streep as uh, Madeline Ashton, Goldie Hawn as Helen Sharp, Bruce Willis as Dr. El uh, Ernest Minville, and Isabella Rossellini as Lisa Van Rumen. Uh, so, yeah, so the movie opens with uh, a bunch of theaters walking out on Madeline's show. Uh, essentially, she is a fading starlet who is just past her peak and is trying to hold on to her youth. Um, so during this ego-stroking show, uh, Ernest, played by Bruce Willis, is with his fiance Helen Sharp, played by Goldie Hawn. Uh, we see that he is very uh, enamored with uh, Meryl Streep's character and Helen Goldie Hawn is not very happy about it. Um, so essentially, uh, we go through all of this um, opening of Goldie Hawn being jealous of uh, his affection toward Meryl Streep, uh, which turns out to be justified as we very quickly in the movie cut to uh, Bruce Willis and Meryl Streep getting married. And so after that happens, um, we cut again to seven years later where Helen is essentially a extremely overweight, uh, depressed woman living by herself with a bunch of cats in an apartment, uh, constantly replaying video of Madeline being choked to death in one of her old movies as the police and her landlord are awaiting to rip her from her apartment where they end up taking her to a mental institution. So after she is in the mental institution and obsessed with Madeline continuously, she uh, essentially the doctor pulls her to the side and tells her that she needs to put Madeline out of her mind, but all, Mad but all Helen hears is eliminate. So we cut to another seven years and Madeline is, uh, we cut to Madeline sitting in a chair and it looks like she's had a bunch of uh, elective surgeries and um, Helen has just released a new book so she and Ernest are preparing to uh, go to this book signing party. Uh, and after these 14 years, we see that Madeline and Ernest are kind of uh, that classic older like couple that's been married for a long time. And uh, he's just kind of given up and started drinking and she's very antagonistic toward him. We go into the party with them having this feeling and uh, it is soon revealed that Helen Goldie Hawn is stunning is pretty much the only word to use because previously in the movie she's looked very plain and um, after she looked you know 
she, at the beginning of the movie she was pretty but plain and then she got like extremely overweight and so now she's back down uh, very slim and looks better than she did at the beginning of the movie um, and as it turns out Helen has taken a potion to essentially make her live forever and make her young forever and after some uh, reality checks for Madeline she eventually breaks down and takes the potion herself um, and what ensues is kind of the beginning of the real madness of the movie where um, Ernest and Helen plan to kill her but Ernest jumps the gun and pushes her down the stairs she breaks everything in her body and um, it turns out she can't die or well she can die but her body can still move so um, after that we get to the point where Madeline uh, it's, it's revealed that uh, to Madeline that Helen is planning to kill her so she returns the favor by shooting her with a shotgun and so Helen is walking around with a giant hole in her body for the rest of the movie because she also has taken this potion and cannot really die uh, so essentially what happens is they argue for a while they reconcile and realize that they're gonna have to spend the rest of their lives together um, they try and convince Ernest to take the potion so that way he can help them keep up their bodies because now that their bodies have technically died, their bodies look like they're dead even though they can still walk and so they need him to essentially maintain their paint jobs um, and give them like body work like you would do to a car. Um, and so essentially what happens is he decides not to take the potion um, and eventually dies of natural causes after leaving both of them to their own devices. And at the end of the movie we end with them arguing at his funeral, um, walking out and tripping down the stairs and literally falling to pieces. Where'd you park the car? I think it's the last <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are both disembodied heads right. yeah. with their body parts scattered around the church steps. And they say, where did you park the car? Like mannequin bodies. It's just pieces. It's, it's very... Uh, that, that scene was very Tim Burton to me. All right, well... That's the general gist of the movie, so let's get into it. Uh, but first, I have to mention these ridiculous costumes that we're all sitting in this room with. Uh, Craig, I I've noticed that you know you you you've taken a liking to Bruce Willis in this movie. You know you you've shaved your head, you now look like Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm dressed like a very sad man who's been married for you know. 20 years the, and the whiskey just you're just shaking the, it out of yeah the whiskey and, and also that that bloody mary that giant bloody mary that you've got oh yeah it's, it's totally on point and i've actually i don't know if you guys can smell it but i've actually been drinking non-stop for the last i was gonna days. say oh, something no, that, no, like, I, sweaty smell, I, I wasn't you know? gonna say anything but but i smelled you like the moment you right. came in oh here. thank you and colin i mean i mean not only did you find some way i don't know what trick of makeup this is to where oh, your okay. head is backwards right now <laughs> Like, and oh my god, I just have to say, this Meryl Streep, like, this blonde wig is just well, well, flowing. Thank you, it's thank you for noticing the, the backwards head. I worked really hard on that. But but it might just be the lighting in here, but it's it's half a Meryl Streep wig, and the other half is the red Goldie Hawn wig. Yeah. And, and it, it's oh, just, oh, yeah, I see if it you now. catch it the right way. Right, you know, yeah. It, yeah, you got both characters in yeah. there. But, but I just want to, I want to cite Dennis for just wearing the, not only the, the necklace as a top, 
<laughs> that um, oh, Isabella Rosalini wears in this movie, but but you also just got like full prosthetics to have her. her I, her I have substantial tits. I gotta say, <laughs> yeah. they are I, fantastic. I, mean, I, I didn't spare an expense. <laughs> I, I walked in here and you looked just remarkably like Isabella Rosalini in this movie. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, fucking Death Becomes Her, 1992. Robert Zemeckis. Nine, what, $55 million to make was the budget? I, I didn't uh, look up the, the budget on this yeah, one. Yeah, $55 million, yeah. 149 in the box office. It won an Academy Award for visual effects. So that this makes, was a successful that movie. That makes wow. a lot of sense, especially for the makeup. Because oh, yeah. the makeup effects in this movie are incredible. Yes. Uh, when they do the older, uh, they do the age effects on Meryl Streep, she looks just like Meryl Streep now. Oh, yeah. And then they go back and they age her back down, and I'm like, oh, wait. No, this is Meryl <laughs> Streep in 1992. Right, yeah. It, like, it was really incredible how good the age effects were. No, I agree. I thought it was really well done. Uh and just, you know, the, the, the nascent technology for, like, the camera, you know, like, yeah, there's, you could see the green screen on Goldie Hawn's stomach at some shots, but uh, it, it was brand new, and they did such a great job with it without being overhanded with it. It, it was brand new, and, and a lot of the CGI stuff doesn't look that great, but but it still really works. And I, I was reading in, in an article that Amy Nicholson wrote about this movie, and one of the things that she said was that Meryl Streep hated doing the, the CGI in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I can understand that. That was probably one of the more jarring moments for me, was the, the CGI itself. The aging thing, I was totally on board Yeah, with. the makeup effects are great, but compared to how good the makeup is, the CGI doesn't quite hold up. But it still is good for the time. Yes, no, it definitely is good for the time. It was, looking at it from 2017 perspective, was me having to remind myself that this was 1992. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, like, um, one of my favorite special effects in the movie is when... Uh, Meryl Streep first dies, and uh, Ernest, uh, Bruce Willis's character, is on the is on the phone with um, Helen, and uh, he's saying, "I did it! I did it! I killed her! I killed her! Just like we planned." And in the background, you can see Meryl Streep's like totally broken body, like all of her limbs are just broken on top of each other, <laughs> so and you good. just see it like like first like a leg moves, and then like the arm moves, and then it like she like slowly stands up. And, like, not really walking right because she's, it's, like... It's like something you would see in a zombie movie today. Yes! Yeah. But it's also just the framing of it is so oh, good. Oh, so good. It's just, like, out of focus. still in the foreground on Bruce Willis, but right. you get, like, such a clear image in the background of this happening. It's, it's a really, really clever and well-put-together shot. <laughs> uh, I thought that was awesome. They, they do go a little heavy-handed with, like, the... Um, Goldie Hawn has the hole blasted through her belly. Like, they give any chance to shoot her shadow where there's a hole in it like they they have to have that on screen <laughs> they, they really go out of their way to show that that silhouette um, so i thought this movie was interesting because as much as it is about like as much as the actresses are front and center in this movie as goldie hahn and meryl streep i still feel like at the end this story is very much about Ernest. it is like it is very and much about him resisting that temptation uh or not even resisting the temptation but essentially like finding his own sense of purpose and finding his own you know guts to stand up to both of these women who he's let pull him back and forth his whole life he is 100 yep. percent the hero of the movie yeah and and it's really funny that you bring that up because when i was going through this i hadn't seen it since i was a child and i only saw it once i had the vaguest recollections of it 
but I was trying to just figure out the character motivations throughout it. So at the beginning, I'm like, okay, Meryl Streep is obsessed with maintaining her youth. Like, Goldie Hawn just wants to get revenge. But then, once you hit kind of the middle of the movie, or once you hit, like, the, the real meat of the movie, I'm like, oh, no. This is a movie about two monsters <laughs> who are trying to destroy each other, and Bruce Willis is caught in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, and it's funny that you say that, because I, I, I thought, while watching this, how marginalized... Willis's character is in an age where like women never set center stage. I mean, they really do now in movies. Like this movie passes the Bechdel test. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, and and Completely. in a really good way. I mean, they don't go out of their way about it. And it, it's kind of like uh, the men are more marginalized in it than anything. And it, it, I, I kind of find that refreshing in the same way that like Gilmore Girls does that. Right. Where it's like, oh yeah, it's like totally about women and, and the men like, oh yeah, they're there, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> that they doesn't matter. Oh man. So uh, let's see here. Uh, got... Oh, actually, uh, speaking of Gilmore Girls, uh, this movie has the actor Jim Jensen in it who plays Reverend Skinner on Gilmore Girls. And I just want to take up my own Jason Manzukis uh, mantle here and point out any Gilmore Girls connections in these movies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, you got it. <laughs> I don't know who that character is. <laughs> and I doubt I'll find out. <laughs> um, this movie, I just felt like, just was brimming with really refreshing comedic writing. You know? Um, for instance, when... Uh, uh, Streep, Meryl Streep's character, Madeline, she gets really depressed after running into Helen after years and sees that she's stunning and beautiful and thin and and amazing. And so she takes off to her, like, boyfriend, her young... Her, like, young lover. Like, he, he's like a pool boy. Yeah, he's, like, yeah. literally in, like, a little, like... He's, like, living in a pool house, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so she goes there and she sees him with, like, someone his age and, uh, and and all we get of this woman is just a shot of her ass. Right, it's just her butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and uh, he's like blatantly trying to lie about a situation, and she goes, "Well, at least lie faster." And she goes, "I know, I'm trying." <laughs> and then uh, and then he says something like, "I was doing this this as a favor for you." And while she's walking away from him. And then it immediately rains on her. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I love stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that like kind of brings up my biggest note about this movie. When I was done with this movie, the, the, I went back to the front of my note sheet and I just wrote down, in all caps, TONE, with a question mark and exclamation point and circled it like three times. <laughs> because what this movie does and what's really admirable about it is that it pulls off this crazy high wire act of TONE. Because it's mixing just this incredibly dark stuff with these really broad comedic elements. And if it's done not as well as this, you end up with, like, nothing but trouble. Right. Or you end up with something that, like, Scary doesn't movie. work or, or like, <laughs> flits too hard from one side to the other. But this one just manages to maintain its balance of these crazy broad comedic elements mixed with this really, really dark stuff. And I, it's, I don't know if there's many other people who could accomplish this as well as Zemeckis does in this movie. I, 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 I've been talking too much. Go ahead, Craig. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, I also feel like even the way this movie is plotted out is done in such a way to where I feel like the only real big hole in the movie is the one in Goldie Hawn, you know? Yeah. It's like... like yeah, no, it, it totally like checks. In the, like, you know, for Goldie, or not Goldie Hawn, for Meryl Streep, 
in this moment where she received the card from like a plastic surgeon for Liesl von Ruman, like kind of dismisses it, puts it in her purse, doesn't think about she it for a while. Does she? Yeah. Oh, okay, so she, she tears, tears it in half, and then, and then when she hits her low point, right. she puts it back together. And she goes even like insults the well, guy that gave it to her. Well, yeah, yeah but she yeah, so she drops it in her purse, and then like in this moment when she's feeling like her lowest is when she's like dumps out her purse because she scares herself by looking in the mirror after the <laughs> rain right. while she's and, driving yeah, she's erratically, driving. like almost <laughs> killing in the rain. Like, yeah. people. It's it's nuts. So she like sees herself in the mirror, is like afraid of her own face, like with all the makeup streaking down. Dumps out her purse to like do up her powder again, and then like the card is there, and that's how we're like triggered into going to Liesel. And so I just thought like like even like stuff like that or like little details where in another movie it would have just been like, oh this guy gives her a card and then like she'll like somehow like just like or just, she'll just yeah we we wouldn't person. have that middle piece we yeah. wouldn't have the thing of she needs to like reach a lower place before she's ready to to grasp at that straw exactly. Um, I also loved that their girl, their girl fight moment where with the shovels. Um, <laughs> I did yes. write down shovel fight. <laughs> yes. that, that was just a note. I, I was like, oh, fight. this is going right where I think it's going, isn't it? It's like, where'd that other shovel come from? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> well, as much as they do a good job of that, of, of, where they can balance that of like where that other other shovel comes from, they literally do Chekhov's gun. They, this is a uh, theatrical convention. It's from okay. the play, the uh, playwright Anton Chekhov, who's like this hugely famous guy. Um, but there's this thing in dramatic literature, li- a thing in <laughs> dramatic literature called Chekhov's gun, which says if you introduce a gun in the first act, it has to go off by the end of the play. Ooh. And so earlier in the movie, we have them standing in front of this giant gun cabinet. And it's just, it, you would think it's just background stuff. This is inconsequential. But then we get to a point later where she pulls out a shotgun and she blasts a hole through Goldie <laughs> Hawk. And I wrote down, oh, they actually did, like, literally check off gun. Huh. That's neat. I love stuff like that. You know, it's like movie trivia. I don't know. Yeah. I, I love at the end of that argument how it boils down to Helen, Helen saying, you stole my boyfriends to hurt me intentionally. And Madeline saying, well, you talked about me behind my back and thought I was cheap. And they both admit to the things that they were accused of. But it's like, Madeline, that's cheap as fuck. Right. To, like, just steal someone's boyfriend <laughs> to, like hurt them that's like the cheapest thing you can do so she's right (laughs) again this is a movie about two monsters who are trying to destroy each other oh they are terrible and i I love how caricatures they are like um oh and they knock it out of the park i I just want to say that for a second like goldie hahn and streep and bruce willis nail their roles in this ridiculous over-the-top dark comedy and it was just refreshing to see them not phone any of it in especially since all three of those actors are probably at the prime of their game at that point you know and uh so we can definitely establish Meryl Streep not overrated right right yeah uh, oh. Okay. oh yeah <laughs> uh, no comments <laughs> guys let's not bring politics into our fun movie podcast <laughs> this is this is fun uh oh yeah so like the caricatures uh, uh, that that they have um Helen has the best because she goes from these like polar extremes you know she's at the beginning of the movie she's kind of this 
caricature of a mousy girl. She's just dressed in all beige and just like really dressed yeah. down. She's she's like the plain Jane right. like mousy girl. And then you you fast forward seven years later and she's in a fat suit and she has countless amounts of cats. Yeah. And she and opens up her cabinet and her cabinet is just cat food and icing and, and that's she's, it. She's eating icing out of a can with her hand with her hands <laughs> watching over and over again Meryl Streep's death scene. Right. It's, I mean, oh my god. <laughs> it's great. With the police and her landlord, like, breaking they're down They're dragging her, her out of the house. And, yeah, and she's, she can't and she's stop still, watching like, resisting the them, re- Until she actually the dies. Right. Uh, I, uh, I, I love stuff like that. And then, uh, I just want to talk briefly about the amazing character detail that they do in this movie. With, the uh, like, specifically the peripheral characters. I was just so stunned by when Meryl Streep goes into the, uh, plastic surgeon's office it's like a stay spa or something like that and the dude is this really flamboyant guy and he's got this strange like european or french accent or something like and that and he has these crazy and, facial tics. yeah and he has yeah. this like winking twitch in his face well, and it's it, it's more it starts as just that but then it like gets broader and broader right. into where he's got like four facial tics going at once right and, and like he can't control them like he he like uses his finger to like poke up his eyebrow you and know that isn't explained or paid off until the end of the movie yes but it's not even is it paid off to the they don't yeah because he's it. a client oh he's like ancient as fuck yeah he's a client of uh what's uh, the character's name is no he can't be yeah no he is because he's, he's at MC. the party he's at the, he's, he's emceeing at the oh, party and he's right. saying she's gonna be down Liesl is gonna be down but here's the thing though because i had another question about that party because i was like so either orchestra players prime is in their 60s <laughs> or they're not in or they're getting the shit end on the whole like immortality portion no the, the orchestra portion. players are not and like, then i had a side tired. note and i was like why wouldn't you want immortal an immortal orchestra like that was like the best players to play for your parties oh, forever that makes so much more sense. and then also another side note was why haven't any of these people who are immortal ever picked up a fucking instrument and decided to learn how to play something if they're living forever? Oh, what, you want, like, like a band of, like, Elvis, Custer, of Elvis Presley and... Well, yeah, I mean, like... they Marilyn have like, Monroe and... Uh, I mean, here's the thing. It's there? like, if you're going to have, like, these, like, orchestra players who are going to be playing for all of eternity, all your parties, then you'd want the best ones. And why wouldn't you want the best ones to be available forever? So. Right. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I so mean, that's I, why I wasn't sure if that guy was actually had actually taken the potion. Uh, because... No, I, I took it. I read it as he had absolutely taken the potion, and he was a client, and that's kind of why he had. Uh, yeah, potion. that adds up his like weird facial tics and shit, you know. Uh, and and, that... and why he was like working at a day spa and stuff. It kind of connects with him being a client. But why would he need to be working at that place if he already was eternally if he's young? Yeah. yeah, and why would he have those ticks if this thing like heals all of your like? If you look too deeply, it's <laughs> <with bottles. laughs> It's not. I think it's not that he's working at the day spa like to make money. It's like this is kind of his cover or his way of bringing new people to Isabella Rosalie. Ah. This is like how like they she gets new clients. This is how she gets clients. Right. Yeah, which would make sense. Yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, but but by that token, I mean you're right. Like instead of having a hiring an orchestra and then what murdering them to keep their immortality secret at the end of each night, they literally have Elvis Presley at the party. Exactly. Yeah. You could just have him just perform. have Elvis play. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. I also love uh, Liesel's uh, her manservants. And it was it's another yeah, uh, they're, third they're... rock throwback, third rock from the sun throwback because it's a. Uh, Dick, Tom, Harry. <laughs> Tom, Dick, and Harry, yeah. 
Which was also well, which is, well, it isn't just third rock from the sun. That's a thing that goes back to like the twenties. But I know, but it's only because we had Fred Stewart in the last episode, yeah. and that brought up memories of third rock <laughs> yeah, for me totally, as well. Totally. totally. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a third oh. rock movie we have to cover, is there? No. Oh god. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Uh, presumably one of those clients is Greta Garbo because this is one of those things I had to look up um, where she's talking about these different clients when she's first meeting with Meryl Streep and she says, all these people including I want to be alone and I was like, that feels like a cultural reference so that I should know what it is but I don't <laughs> and so I looked it up and that's Greta Garbo I also okay. looked up that the actual quote was, it's like, I w she actually said, she made a quote on the quote that was in this movie of I want to be alone and she said what I said was I want to be left alone there's miles of difference between that like <laughs> she <Yeah>. wait <laughs> she she commented herself on this movie well I don't know no, it wasn't no, on this no. movie on but this she's been quote. yeah she's oh. been thoroughly misquoted on this like yeah. over time it's, and so it's, this was just the, one the more misquote quote about Greta Garbo like before she died it was like I want to be alone but it's what she actually said was I want to be left alone ah yeah. okay okay I get it I get it I also love how when uh, Ernest comes back from his talk with Liesl everyone's kind of looking at him like ew immortal <laughs> well we were talking about like plastic surgery and things like that earlier in the movie uh, at the beginning of the movie Ernest is a plastic surgeon he's like a top of his game plastic surgeon we cut to seven years later after he's been married to Meryl Streep and he is now just like a washed out drunk like he's passed out on the floor and like he's he a has, mortician he's a yeah, but now he's mortician. not even a mortician he's not like a, a doctor anymore he just like takes like fixes up the bodies for showing and stuff so he is like just been bottomed out by being married to her but he's master of his craft as uh, noted by a scene where a woman whose mother died comes up to him and thanks him for his services and my favorite thing about this is that she asks him what his secret was and he says spray paint and she gets so offended uh, more well, you're already talking about how you dressed up your dead mother and that's what offends you like <laughs> would you I, I mean I don't know I just thought it was, I mean he did kind of keep going like he did keep going he was just like oh yeah you know it provides the best texture you know so you just gotta like spray him down you know? and, and it comes just... in all these naturalistic colors and so yeah it's <laughs> It was a bit, yeah, it was kind of like that, you know, Asperger-y type, uh, like, savant level of intelligence where he can speak about things at a very high level when it's technical, but he has absolutely right. no social awareness right, of yeah. what's going on around him. And so he's just yeah. like, yeah, spray paint. I just, you know, shove the hose up her and fill her <laughs> with formaldehyde and then paint her down. I think it also, it also plays like his, his raging alcoholism, which I love they do in it. They, yeah. They're so over the top with how much he drinks. <laughs> it's oh, insane. Which, which, like, one of my things I wrote down, and, and they even acknowledge, like, it's crazy how much he drinks because when they're trying to do dose him with the potion they give him like a comically huge glass of whiskey <laughs> they give him like like a giant tumbler that is like filled to the brim <laughs> with just with whiskey, just whiskey. <laughs> like, that's like a pint and a half yeah, no, in like, that glass i seriously didn't even know that they made i didn't even know they made tumblers that large like it was yeah. just oh yeah huge. that's hollywood no large. way to even hold that in one hand <laughs> I also love when Ernest first takes Madeline to the doctor and she ends up fainting and they put her in the morgue 
and uh, he comes back and he's looking for her and he's like, where did you take my wife? She's like, she's dead. We took her to the morgue. He's like, the morgue? She'll be furious! <laughs> he's got so many great like line readings like that that are just huge. Like when they keep coming back to life, like he's like, it's a miracle! And then <laughs> Goldie Hawn gets like her stomach blasted out and she gets back up and he, it's another miracle! <laughs> and I love how quickly he just checks out after they start fighting too. He's just like, oh, yeah. he just, okay, I'm, I'm done. And they just do this great pan of their like fighting with shovels and like screaming at each other and he's just like, I'm going upstairs. And he so calmly and just slowly walks up the stairs and down the hallway and it's this great long shot of them just yep. following him. Well, two zombies while are these, fighting in the background. Yeah, while these two <laughs> zombies are like fighting off off camera. Oh yeah. But it's just this whole like slow deliberate pan of following him. And yeah, it's yeah. so good. No, the, the the camera work is really good and it's just, it cracks me up because it's such a ridiculous movie and there's some really quality shots in it. I just we'll kind of want to talk briefly about how uh, Meryl Streep is not phased terribly too much about being undead. <laughs> like, she's, she faints, yeah, and she ends up at the morgue, okay. But then when, she, like... Well, as soon as cuts... she realizes she's in the morgue, she gets pissed off. Right. She's just like, at first she's like, it was so dark, I was so scared, I didn't know what was going on. Right. And then she's like, am I in the morgue? Right. And she's like, what am I doing in the morgue? And then she's just like, immediately just like, but this everything is goes out the window. This is after she's realized that she's undead. Because this right. is after she's fallen down the stairs and her neck has been turned backwards and like her, <laughs> all of her limbs are broken and like this whole thing. But yeah, I agree that she's like really nonchalant about discovering that she's undead. Yeah. She's... She's not alive anymore. It's just, just eh, cool. Oh, oh, no, the, the oh, my favorite fucking comedic scene in this entire movie is with the doctor. When they when he when Willis takes in Meryl Streep to the doctor to determine like what's wrong with her neck. <laughs> and the doctor <laughs> like lowers the scarf and is just like, "Oh, th those bones shouldn't be there." <laughs> and he's he's like poking at her <laughs> broken, like, flopped-down wrist, going, it doesn't hurt when I do this? And she's like, nope. Yeah, he literally <laughs> bends it back all the way to where, like, the back of her hand is touching he her forearm. Right. He has the stethoscope, and he's listening for her heartbeat, and then he, like, taps on it, and he, like, reacts right. hugely because it's, like... And he listens again, and, and then he, he gets, throws away he the goes stethoscope. And he gets a bigger stethoscope, <laughs> yeah. and he listens to her heart again. And then, and then Willis is, like, pulling from a, from a flask in the background, and the doctor gets up after, like, listening to no heartbeat, and just, like, can I, can I see that for a second? And takes a flask from him, and just polishes it off and, before he sits down and kind of explains the situation. Like, a, a scene later we cut to like all the doctors are gone and Bruce Willis can't find a doctor. It's because all of them are treating this doctor who's having a heart attack. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Oh my god. Oh, no, it was brilliant. Like that 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 actor nailed it out of the park. I was I was in I was I was. I just was. This movie I felt like this movie did a very, very good job of show not tell. Because all of the exposition happens very quickly. Like, there's not really, like, we don't spend time developing the relationship between uh, Bruce Willis and Meryl Streep as they're, like, cheating. It's just like, nope. Goldie Hawn's like, I'm pretty sure you're going to cheat on me because she's taken every other man from me that, has, well, that I've ever had. And then they I, cut to the wedding. It's right. one and of the things that like, I, I wrote down was, like, it's like, I have no interest in Madeline Ashton. And then cut to... 
the wedding. Yeah. Right. Like, immediate cut to they're married. Yeah. That's, that's it's like, this to... is perfect. And then it's like, before it gets like too far into that, it's like, all right, cut to seven years later, Goldie Hawn's fat in her, on her couch. And then it's like, all right, we've finished, like, we've established what's going on there. Let's cut to her being in a mental institution. Well, imagine if, like, Roland Emmerich did this movie. It would just be so heavy-headed. Oh, well, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like exactly what you're saying. Is that, like, this movie doesn't hold your hand. This movie, like, trusts you to, like, be along with the ride and get what's happening. It, they, it doesn't need to come in with, like, an exposition dump of them, like, explaining everything. Right. It's, it's saying, like, yeah, if you're paying attention and following along, then you're going to have a good time. Yep. And that's, and that's a testament to good movie making and respecting your audience. I mean, look at where we came from from last week, where it was just so, oh, Kurt Russell's depressed because his son killed himself with a gun. And then cut and to two people to saying two people the same thing. explaining yeah. the right. scene we just saw. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, that just gets so insulting. <laughs> One of the runners that I loved throughout this movie was the um, Lipstick. Like lips, oh, yes. lipstick on the cheek, mm -hmm. where like one of them, when one of them is on top of the other, she'll like kiss her on the cheek and leave a lipstick mark, and then it'll be reversed when the other one's on top, lipstick on the cheek, and this even comes back like when the movie gets into like the depths of its darkness, where Bruce Willis is like painting them and like maintaining them and doing all this stuff. He's wearing this apron, it says like "Kiss the Chef" or something like on it, like that on it, but. On that apron are two lipstick marks. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, damn. That is some detail. I love that. Uh, I thought Bruce Willis was channeling his inner Rick Moranis throughout this entire movie. Because oh, it's oh, very much like, He's like little masculine or, or more macho Rick Moranis. Yeah, yeah. it felt very much like uh, like he was like. Rick Moranis and Little Shop, like, in this movie, like, it was a really cool juxtaposition, like, thinking about that, about how that movie was all about Rick Moranis uh, essentially succumbing to temptation, and this movie is all about Bruce Willis avoiding temptation, and I know they don't have anything to do no, with each other, really, but th just thinking of Bruce Willis as Rick, Rick Moranis and his acting style in this movie, like, brought me back to that, like... That's, that's, that's a, very entertaining. a really interesting parallel, because Little Shop of Horrors is another very dark movie that has like really broad comedy in it yeah so wow that's really cool i bet they came to rick moranis first rick moranis totally said no <laughs> who's producing this not disney go fuck yourselves <laughs> i am knocking it out of the park with the honey i shrunk the kids franchise right now <laughs> Which he did. I mean, Which he did. Yeah, <laughs> he fucking Rick Moranis the hell out of that series. Oh, so what did you think the line was? Oh, what did yes. You think my line was? So um, when we were getting ready for this episode, Craig had texted us that he knows what line in this movie cements this movie in his heart forever. And I wrote down two different possibilities of what I thought that line might be. Um, one of them is when Bruce Willis is uh, the mortician and he's getting ready this actor who died like having sex with some young starlet in his pool and Bruce Willis says I'm gonna give him some uh, depth and character and the guy who's in charge says you can't give him any character or depth people have to recognize him <laughs> <laughs> that was one contender I had the other one was do you know what they do to soft, bald, overweight Republicans in prison? Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Although that first one was also amazing. But yeah, just hearing that from Meryl Streep, like, 
after amazing. recent events was just like, oh, God, that's so awesome. <laughs> Those were the two times that I had to pause the movie to write down a line. Being like, oh, I bet this might be it. <laughs> uh, one, one of my favorite lines in this is... Uh, when uh, Meryl Streep first gets the potion and she takes it, like as soon as she takes it, uh, the now a warning. <laughs> yeah, now a warning. Now a warning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely wrote that one down too. <laughs> now. <laughs> that reminds me of Inside Lewin Davis with <laughs> where she he's talking about the cat and like having the people's cat and he says I really feel sorry about that and then she goes that's what you feel bad about oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good so fucking good well that kind of wraps me up what final notes do you guys have I'm, I'm pretty much there on this uh, I thought this movie is really great um it's just kind of Robert Zemeckis at, at the height of his power and Robert Zemeckis kind of really when he was a huge deal in Hollywood. I mean, this is right on the heels of him doing like the Back to the Future trilogy. So yep. it, it's before, I think it was before Back to the Future 2 and 3 were released, he did this and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, and then they released 2 and 3 and then they put these out. So... The man was working so fucking hard throughout the 80s, it's insane. Yeah. And we've we've talked before on this show about the canon and how it's kind of one of our inspirations for this podcast, but Amy Nicholson, chief critic for MTV, who's one of the hosts of the canon, loves this movie. I, I totally agree with her. I got several times throughout my notes to say, stands up. This stands up. This holds up. It's just a really quality movie. They, it's just across the board. Um filmed well cast well acted well written just it, it pops it's just such a good script yeah um kind of piggybacking off what colin said earlier about tone um that was one of the first things i wrote about this movie was that it swings really wide but still manages to make a solid hit like it's just crazy like the range of tone in this movie and how it just all comes together to create this weird, quirky, but fascinating and amazing thing. Right. So I really, really felt like this movie held up, and I still love the shit out of it. And 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 that's a, that's a skill that a lot of directors don't get, where they try to do a dark comedy, and it leaves you with a really shitty feeling. I'm thinking about Gamer... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. where, like, gamer comes to mind they're like... trying to do something that's like dark and like tongue-in-cheek and a comment on society and but, culture but and when shit. they swing too far to the darkness right. without having the levity without having like it be broad enough or without having it be like goofy enough the good writing it, i guess or yeah i guess it really comes down to yeah. the writing but it, it can really fall flat on its face yeah and and this is just a really good example of dark comedy period you know um one other thing i want to ask since we did this on the last nostalgia episode um this movie came out in 1992 Ooh. um so i was nine years old when this movie came out i was six craig <laughs> 
I would have been three when it first came <laughs> when out. When it first came out, so obviously we you were watching VHS. this on VHS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you watched this movie as a three-year-old, I would have real questions about your parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably wouldn't have even remembered it watching it as a three-year-old. Yeah. I would have been like in the theater with my parents. Ooh, ooh <laughs> this is weird. Uh, so my sisters loved this movie growing up, and, and, and I would catch it you know, several times when they would rent it and stuff. And one of the things that stuck to me, and it's so innocuous, but it just shot out at me when I was watching it this time, is Meryl Streep is driving a Mercedes-Benz that has windshield wipers on the, on the uh, headlights. And I just remember remembering that. <laughs> that was a, that's a thing, though. There I know it is. Oh, yeah. But I'm just it's saying. It's funny that, that you would remember like, that Like, yeah, that, that's my nostalgia <laughs> moment. <laughs> mine was just uh, Goldie Hawn with the hole in her stomach. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. With, yeah, that's the thing that I remember. That and the, the cover, the movie cover. Yeah. I remember seeing yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, if we're done with notes, I guess um, we move on to uh, recommendations. So, this week, my recommendation is, um, have we plugged Comedy Bang Bang? Have we done that before? I don't think we have. Because I'm going to plug the fuck out of Comedy Bang Bang right now. Um, I've been listening to it nonstop lately. It's uh, something Colin, Colin took me to a show when they were doing a tour back in May, and I had very little idea what I was in for, <laughs> and <laughs> it was confusing, <laughs> to say the least. Um, Comedy Bang Bang is a uh, comedic improv com uh, podcast uh, that's kind of like a it's like a talk show where Scott Ackerman is hosting a smattering of people some are real some are doing characters uh, you kind of have to listen to it to kind of get the idea yeah, of it it's, it's like a mix of a talk show with a long form improv right it's like a variety show but what I'm officially plugging for Comedy Bang Bang is the Comedy Bang Bang Summer Tour which can be found on howl.com um Fucking pay for it. It's great. It's less than $40 a year, and you get so many podcasts and so much entertainment and uh, exclusive stuff like the tour, the Comedy Bang Bang tour is on that, and I highly recommend it. Uh, I will recommend the new Black Panther series from Marvel, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and I will also recommend Ta-Nehisi Coates in general. Oh, yes. Um, a World Between Us. Um, I know he has another book that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. but The Obama Interviews. Yes. Um, yeah. Ed, Ezra Klein podcast episode is amazing. Yep. Um, but yeah, Black Panther for sure. Uh, the first volume um, starts out a little slow, but you can definitely tell it's building up to something pretty awesome. So Black Panther and Ta-Nehisi Coates. One of the things I was going to recommend is... Uh, Howl, howl.fm, the uh, Get a Howl subscription. <laughs> Sorry for about sure, that. it's worth it. No, absolutely. I have I have plenty of other recommendations. Uh, I'm going to say uh, check out the soundtrack for Fun Home. Um, Ooh, yes. I had the option, Dennis and I went to see uh, Fun Home uh, last week. It is an amazing show, and ever since I've just been listening to that soundtrack pretty nonstop on YouTube. So um, definitely check out uh, Fun Home in any, in any way you can, uh, but the easiest way is just check out that soundtrack because it's an extraordinary show yes i i second that um i'm gonna kind of segue into a few plugs because there's just a few people that i just want to mention doing some cool shit out there uh specifically uh uh mirror fears is some great music done by kate warner you can find mirror fears on soundcloud uh is where she posts most of her music she has several albums out i think she's working on her third her fourth i don't know 
She's working on her next album right now. So, Mira Fierce, check her out. SoundCloud.com. You guys got some plugs for anyone that you know doing cool stuff? Uh, not not this week. I, I don't know cool people. For so. you uh, uh, next time. So. I don't know any cool people. Cool, cool. Well, that will expand as we um, kind of get more comfortable in what we're doing. Uh, so, I guess we will go on to announce the next movie. What's the next movie, Colin? It's your turn for the Nostalgia Block. All right, so we're talking about movies that we were obsessed with as kids but haven't seen since. So, uh, next week we are going to be going back to 1994 to talk about Jan de Bont's Speed, starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. I am so fucking happy you chose this movie. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be so great. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's that's what's going to happen next week. Is going to be uh, the third and last installment of our Nostalgia Block. So to close us off, I just got some things to say about the podcast. You can find all of our episodes on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash I-W-Y-T-W-T, as well as most podcast listening apps like iTunes or Stitcher or your mama. Um, Twitter, if you like Twitter, we're on Twitter. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with Twitter, but eventually I'll figure it out. Twitter handle is at want you to watch this with the letter U and the number two. Uh, join in on some movie conversation on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash IWYTWT. And finally, if you like what you're hearing, please write us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps people find our little podcast and grow our little audience. And so I guess join us next week for the last installment of our nostalgia block, Speed. Thanks, guys. Bye.